Help, I got a Mac podcast episode number 29. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Help, I Got a Mac. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft. I'm Chris Biting. And we are here today to tell you to go out and get yourself a Mac. You know, today would have been a great day. You know, it's being Memorial Day and everybody's off work. It would have been a nice day to go to the mall and wait in line at the Apple Store with everybody else. That's exactly it. Or else you could have called for your personal concierge appointment to, to be your personal shopper, I guess. Yeah, that's one thing we always want to remember, you know, remind people. If you're thinking about getting a Macintosh and you know, you, you don't want to go and fight the crowds, remember that the Apple Store does have one-on-one personal shopping. And just go to apple.com slash retail and you can find out. And, and that's the last we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> In this episode. In this episode, yeah. <laughs> Until they start paying us. No, <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, uh, we want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, of course, this being the plus member only episode, this is for you guys. And uh, today we have uh, just a little bit of craziness going on. Uh, of course, it is Memorial Day. Chris forgot it was Monday, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his reload and his Mac story. And uh, I recently just got off the road. I, we spent the weekend down in the Great Smoky Mountains, and we tur- we effectively turned a five and a half hour drive into a good nine and a half hour drive today. Thank you very wow. much. Wow. Yes, sir. <laughs> Three kids in the back seat. It was a blast. Let me tell you. And of course, yeah, I'm sure. I just got in a half an or got in an hour ago and spent a half an hour sleeping on the couch. So. I've got my second wind. It should last for at least at least the next twenty-seven minutes. So, anyway, let's get this thing started. What do you have for us? You, you said you were you had an issue where you had to reload your Mac. What's going on? Well, you know, Friday night I'm sitting at home and I'm like, you know what? I think I'm gonna put uh, I'm gonna put boot camp back on my machine because I realized I totally forgot that I'm a beta tester for GameTap. And, and I realized that, you know what, I'm sitting here uh, wasting this because I could be playing a bunch of cool games. So I went ahead and loaded Boot Camp. And, uh, well, I'm you know, getting ready to put in, put in Boot Camp. I got my you know, Windows XP disk because I'm not going to put Vista on it. Um, Amen, brother. <laughs> and I go to split the disk in pieces. Now, what happens when, for those that don't know, when, when you have Boot Camp. What is what Boot the, Camp, by the way? Boot, yeah, sure. Boot Camp is a piece of software that comes with the, the new version of, of the Mac OS, which is 10.5. And what it allows you to do is run Windows on your Macintosh. And just, way- in, in layman's term, that for those of you who just got a Mac, it's, it's, it's Leopard. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and the, the way it works is what it does is it takes your hard drive and it takes the, you, you can take a chunk of free space on that and it kind of splits it off and, and makes it its own little, little drive for Windows. Well, in the middle of doing that, it the, came back with an error. And I was like, oh, no. So I rebooted, and it was showing that amount of data gone from my system. It was just the, the 40 gigabytes that I devoted to Windows it was just gone. It was just in the vapor somewhere. Okay. So, so was your Mac still running, the Mac OS? It, it, it was still running. So what I hurried up and did is I'm fortunate enough to have two Macs. So I copied all my data over from my MacBook Pro over to my MacBook using a FireWire cable. And then 
I just wanted to see if I could reclaim that space. So I, if you if you pop in your leopard disk, you can actually boot off the leopard disk when you power on your computer by holding down the C key. Okay. You know, C first CD. And it comes up, and I run a disk utility. And okay. we've talked about disk utility in the past. Right. And I, I ran disk utility, and it fixed the drive and gave me back that extra 40 gigabytes of data. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, and then it fixed a couple other things. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try it again. So I rebooted, and I tried it again, and it died on the exact same spot. Okay. So at that point, I'm like, well... To me, that tells me there's an underlying issue you know, with the formatting of the drive or something like that. So I already had my data copied on my other computer, so I just went ahead and reformatted the whole thing. And uh, if you've never done that, it takes quite a bit of time to kind of get the computer back to, to where you feel comfortable. You know, I had to reload all my software, and then I had to load my 30 gigs of music back on and my 8 gigs of pictures back on and my 5 gigs of documents back on. And... Uh, I just finally uh, finished putting all the data back on, and I think it, it's okay. I put my VPN for my work back in there, and all my software should be okay. So I think I'm all right. The only thing I need to do is when I get into work tomorrow is I use Entourage because we, we use an Exchange server. We have Windows and Mac machines that use Outlook and all that stuff. So I have to resync that, but I think I'm okay. So uh, long story short, my hard drive messed up. I had to reformat my Mac, and it took me, you know, a better part of three days to get it back. Wow! In, in between, you know, going to like the fifty-three cookouts that I was invited to. Now, this was a Mac you've had for quite some time. You've probably done some questionable things as far as installing software, right? Yeah, I put Boot Camp on it a couple times and put it back. So it really the and I use this for video editing and things that work. So the drive was probably pretty beat up as far as data was concerned. It was probably thrown all over the, the machine and giant gaps in data and stuff like that. And I, did not, I didn't follow my advice my, that I give people on the show here. And one of those things you, you want to do is you know, run... You know, if, you're, if you're doing things like this, make sure you run Disk Utility every, every once in a while. Um, if you've got a program like Disk Warrior or Drive Genius, you know, run those just to make sure that your drive's okay. And you know what? I, I didn't take my own advice this time, and you know I spent three three days where I could have been doing something else, you know, fixing my computer. All right, so we're going to do a couple things here. First of all, uh, before I want to make sure that I understand the the resolution to the the issue here. So sure. after you got everything back to where you wanted it, did you end up going back and and putting your boot camp in and getting it up and running? I did. Once I formatted the drive, I, I made sure you know the the drive was good and clean and and erased everything on it i did go back and put boot camp on it and it's working just fine awesome well that's good that's good to know so so here's the other thing you were talking about the the you know the advice that we always give everybody run disk utility i know we talk we've talked about it in the we've got what this is episode 29 we've talked about it before but let's let's make it a point to talk about it every five or six episodes or so because people new people are coming along some people you know maybe skip an episode sure. because they're listening to so many podcasts but real quickly how do you get to disk utility and what do you do once you get there sure there's two different ways of using disk utility uh, the first thing I want to talk about is using it to repair your permissions and on your computer every file has a permission of read or write or read only or write you know that it has certain characteristics of, of how the file behaves, and the computer can read that and tell what it needs to do. 
every once in a while, those kind of get flipped for one reason or another. So one thing that you can do on, you know, I do a monthly basis. You know, of course, now I'm going to start doing it on a monthly basis. One of the things you can do is repair disk permissions. And it's a really quick and easy thing you can do to, to make sure the programs don't crash and all that kind of stuff. And the way you do it is if you go into your applications folder, you'll see a folder in there that says utilities. Mm-hmm. And once you get in the utilities folder, there is an icon there. It looks like a little disk with a uh, stethoscope on it, and it's called Disk Utility. Right. And once you launch Disk Utility, you'll highlight your heart. You know, you'll see a, a window will pop up, and there will be a left-hand menu that will show your disk. You just click on your Macintosh HD. And the first thing that comes up is a little tab that says First Aid. And what you want to do is you want to repair disk permissions. And what that'll do is every file has a receipt that tells the computer what it should be, ultimately, you know, the read and write. So what, it, what the program does is it compares all the files with that receipt that it has, and if it's wrong, it'll fix it. So it just goes through and does that. And it, you know, it, it could take two minutes, it could take 20 minutes or 30 minutes, depending on how long it's been since you've ran that, how many files you have on your computer, you know, how long you've had at your computer and had the files on there and stuff. So I recommend doing it once a month. It, it keeps things kind of neat and tidy. Gotcha. You don't recommend doing that while we're doing a show bringing you in on Skype, though, right? I probably wouldn't do it just in case. <laughs> uh, the other thing you can do from, from a maintenance and, and repair uh, standpoint is that all the Macs that you have can boot off of you know, your, your Leopard disk or your Restore disk, the, you know, the first disk that you get with your Mac, or if you buy a copy of Leopard, you can boot off these disks. And just like I said in the beginning of the show, you pop the disk in, and you hold down the C key, and it will boot off of the disk. Once you boot off of the disk, you can go back into the, uh, you'll see an option to go in, you know, you'll see utilities and stuff at the top, or tools, I think it's what's called, and you'll see disk utility in the top toolbar. And from there, you can, you can choose an option that's normally grayed out if you go into disk utility normally, and that's repair disk. Oh, and the reason it can't repair a, a mounted disk is because you know, you're running off that disk. So, but since you're running off the CD, you, it'll, you know, it'll pull that drive and look at it and make sure everything's okay. And I've used that quite a bit to fix, to fix some things. You know, if, it's, if your computer's taking a long time to boot up or it's not booting, sometimes that'll fix it. Gotcha. All right, so um, those are very – and now Andrea wants to know, is there anything else in the utilities that you would recommend doing as maintenance outside of just this disk repair or the uh, permissions? Uh, no. You can – if there was one other program I would probably buy just for general purpose would be a program called Disk Warrior. It's from a company called, company called Alsoft, and it's, a, it's expensive though. It's $100. But that, that disk, if there is absolutely something just totally gummed up with your system, if you boot off this disk, 99% of the time, Disk Warrior is going to fix whatever's wrong with it. Hmm. Wow. You know, th- th- I think if there's anything that you know, frustrates me today as much as it did the day I bought my Mac was to learn that all the tools necessary to, to really do what you really want to do in maintenance mode, it's always you hear there's a program you can buy that's only this much or it's this much. 
and where you know on the PC side of things, it's like, well, you would you just it's either you actually they built in that one program. I can't the startup utility. Um, yeah, check disk, check disk, and all that other stuff. I mean, there there's all kinds of other tweak and and modification software that that's available for the Windows side of thing. But on the Mac, it's it seems like man, it's like I'd really like to be able. Well, you really can't. But if you buy this software, you can do it. And hundred bucks for a maintenance suite that it seems to me that that the apple folks could maybe build something to well, put into the operating system i think it's more of a unix thing the 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 unix back backend does do a lot of preventative maintenance type things you know especially on systems that are kept on all the time it runs log file cleanups and stuff like that and also the system uh, cuz someone in, in our chat room just mentioned uh, defrag yep mac os 10 actually does do defragging on the fly Okay. Now, with that, with that being said, it can only do certain lengths of data. If it's too big, if you've been moving a lot of video files off your computer and on external drives and back and forth and stuff like that, those file chunks, those spaces in between the data on, on the drive are too big for, for, the OS, for OS X to do it automatically. So for, for the cases like that, if you really, really want to defrag your drive and, and Apple doesn't really recommend the need for it, you can use a program like Drive Genius, and I think it's once again a ninety-nine dollar program. And there's some other programs you can find, but that's the one that Apple actually uses uh, at the Genius Bar. So it's and, called Drive Genius. Uh huh. And who makes that? Yeah. You know what? I don't know off the top of my head. See, the, but if the, you just do a Google search for Drive Genius, you'll, you'll find here's it. Here's here's what blows me away. Okay. What you just said to me, and and I could tell me if because I I admit I've been in the car driving literally all day long, but did you or did you just not say that for working on maintenance on disk drives for the Apple OS that Apple employees are li- literally using a package of software that another company built so that they could do repairs on their own OS? Absolutely. Did, that's nuts. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's nuts. I well, mean, if you if you look at, you know, I, I've used Windows for a long time, and I've been a, a an MCSE and all that kind of stuff. Very rarely did check disk or disk defrag or scan disk ever really fix any huge huge problems. We'd have to use things like Norton or Spinrite or something like that, a third party program. I mean, you know, the 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 tools that they make can only do so much, and then there's people who just you know, make dedicated software for fixing this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, if, if nothing else, I think Steve jobs has the money to say, you know what, let's buy this company that has, uh, written drive genius and, and make it an Apple branded software and, yeah. and put this stuff in there. Let us have some kind of tool. I mean that I, I, I would say, you know, for, of course here, here I was one of those people that stood on the fence between buying a, uh, Mac, or buying another PC, and of course, back the you know the I'm do, I'm here doing help. I got a Mac.com right, so I'm doing this podcast. But really, it was Vista that pushed me over the edge. I would have actually gone into the the Mac side of things so much longer, so much uh, earlier had it been had it not been for some of these little minus fr- minor frustrations because I was investigating Mac podcasts. I was listening. I was asking these questions, and yeah. and every time I was like, oh, you know, and 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 I have, I've shared this many times before that it's really the Apple marketing 
in the branding that really helped me make that final decision. And I was almost ready to leap over to the other side. And each time I backed away when I'm like, okay, well, what about I have this question? It's like, oh, well, there's a software that you can buy. It's like, what? No, really? And so, yeah. So, but, but I mean, obviously, I'm here on the Mac side. I enjoy the Mac. I do want to say that I had somebody ask me a question recently. Somebody okay. asked, and I, and I want to see what you would, how you would answer this question, because I know how I answered the question. But I, somebody said, you know, I'm, I'm getting a Mac uh, in a couple of weeks. And it's like, oh, well, you need to check out my show. I do a show called HelpIGotAMac.com. Me and my co-host, uh, we answer people's questions. It's like, wait a second. I thought Macs are supposed to be easier. Why would you call it Help I Got a Mac? How would you answer that question? Well, uh, first off, I'd say it's, it's a computer. Uh, and it's radically different than anything you've ever used before. So if you're used to using Windows and you decide to get a Mac... You're completely in a different country at this point as far as using a computer. And, and me, I, I, I fashioned myself a computer expert. And when I first got my Mac, I was totally lost for like the first three months. Right. And, and then, you know, there's always, since it is kind of a niche operating system and, you know, only maybe 10% of the, of the computing public use it, when you do have a problem, because this software is written by humans, you know, there's obviously going to be a bug or two. Or three or fifty. Um, when you do have a problem, you know there isn't a whole lot of of online help. At least there wasn't when I first started. You know, you got the Apple forums, which are generally just complaining areas where people just just talk about things that they don't like. Uh, but it's really nice to have a resource like this. And I think that new Mac users do need a place that they can go to. So I, you know, the the misnomer of Macs don't have problems, Macs never crash, Macs are perfect, they never break. It's just that it's it's a misnomer. They yep. do break. They do have problems. It's yes. a computer. And it's they, software. It, it's it's like Windows, but it's you know, the, the the control between the hardware and the software is controlled by Apple, so you have less. A less of a chance for something to break just because there's less variables in the equation. Yeah, and and I will just share, and and this is not a knock against Mac, and trust me, I still love my Mac, and to this day, when it comes down to it, of course, it, it Microsoft made it easy for me. It's very easy for me to say this. Go out and buy a Mac. Your next computer should be a Mac. If, if it's at all possible, your next computer should be a Mac. And the reason I can say that is because Vista sucks. There ain't no two ways to get around that, not even one way to get around it. Vista really does stink. And, in fact, you you have to be a pretty darn close friend uh, for for me to even come over and push the power button on your computer when you're having an issue if you have Vista anymore. So... Uh, that's just a, it's just not going to happen. But anyway, yeah. um, the fact is, is that I have had more beach balls of spinning beach balls of death than I have had in, and this is in one year, than I have seen blue screens on any of the Windows XP machines that I personally own have yeah. owned in the last five years. So the the fact is is that do you still have programs that stop responding and stuff like that? Do things happen? Do you run out of do you open up enough programs that can really start, you know, leaking out some memory and stuff like that? Absolutely. I mean, the fact is is that not all software is being written by Apple and so uh, anytime you get a programmer, programmer in there, you can get somebody that writes something that isn't nice and tidy and some things start to happen. So 
Anyway, what I will say is that it's sometimes, about 99% of the times, it's easier to recover from a beach ball of death. And, and basically, for those of you who have not used the Mac yet, um, instead of getting the blue screen that says your computer is unusable, you have to just basically turn it off and reboot, uh, the, the beach ball tends to be limited most of the time to the particular pro- program that you're you happen to be running. So let's just say if I had um, Firefox, my browser open, and all of a sudden it stops responding, and I get this the mouse cursor becomes this spinning beach ball, and it won't go away. Generally, I can go down to the bottom of the screen, and and what's that place called? The start dock. Huh? The dock? Yeah, the dock. So you can go down into the dock and you can right click on the Firefox icon and you can force quit that program. So you yeah. can make it stop and that will just basically shut down that one program that's not responding. Typically, you'll be able to reload Firefox right back up and you're good to go. And that's that's the case with a majority of the spinning beach balls. And so the the nice thing is most of the time I don't have to go and reboot the entire operating system. And if I happen to have five other programs running in the background, I didn't lose anything on those five different bo- back or background programs. Yeah, it, the system's really good at kind of protecting that whole area. And, uh, and what's nice about a, a Mac and actually this was this is a question that we're going to have that we have tonight. So I'm just going to go ahead and address it. One of the nice things about the Mac is when you install a program, all you really do is you take that application and you just drag it into your applications folder. Mm-hmm. And that installs the program. And the first time you run it, if it needs to put little files anywhere, like you're basically, if, if an application is going to put files anywhere else on your machine, it's going to put preferences. You know, how do you want pop ups set up, yes or no? Do you want your bookmarks to be set here, yes or no? You know, things like that, just your preferences. And it's going to put that in a, like a little text file somewhere on your machine. And unlike a Windows machine that throws, you know, DLL libraries and all sorts of stuff all over the system, if you just want to uninstall an, a Mac program and a Windows program or an Apple program, you just go into your applications folder. You grab the the application and you just drag it into the trash and empty the trash, and it, it removes it. Now, if you want to remove all those little preferences and things like that, you know they're not very big, but I would think after a few years they would add up. You can get programs like we talked about, uh, like last week, you know, App Trap or App Zapper. If you just do searches on those, you can find them on Google. You know, and those those will make sure it grabs all those little bits and pieces if you want. But really, just Installing a program and removing a program is so easy on a Mac. It just blew my mind the first time I did it. It felt like I was doing something wrong when I was just dragging the application into the folder because it was completely backwards to what I was used to on a Windows machine. I have a question for you. If you happen to take, because basically your your application is kind of stored or hidden inside or what you call encapsulated in one file. Which, right. which in my in my mind, what, regardless of how it really works in the background, in my mind, it's one folder that happens to be executable. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's what it is. It, like if you look at mail, mail.app, mm-hmm. If you looked at that, just as it is in real life, it's actually a folder, and inside that folder can or a package is what they call it. Mm-hmm. It contains all the necessary files. Right. But to the, the 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 user, it looks just like one icon, and it is what it is, and you click on it, and it runs, and everything's good. And the nice thing about the Mac and the way it runs is everything needed to make that program runs 
run is inside that one package or that one folder or that one icon, if you will. And it doesn't have to go put it in the registry. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to put all these DLL files in fifteen hundred different places. It doesn't. Yeah, there's no such, there's no such thing as a registry on a Mac. Exactly. And so that's that is kind of neat. And we're going to get to Chef Mark's question here in just a moment. But um, one question I have for you: What if you were to take one of those encapsulated files or one of those icons from the application, and you move and you installed it or you moved that? out of the applications folder into any other folder on your Mac. Can it will it still run? In theory it could. Okay. Um, but you may have crashes or it may just bounce in the dock. It really, really wants all your applications to be in the applications folder. Yeah. That, that, but in theory it, it can run. I've seen people at my job when I was doing IT support, every time they would launch Firefox, they were actually launching, you know, the disk image of Firefox and then launching it from within the disk image. And it's completely the backwards way of doing it because it takes longer to launch and all that kind of stuff. So programs can run without being in the applications folder, but it's highly recommended that they're not. Right. Hey, we're going to turn over to Chef Mark. Chef Mark is on the line, and he has a question for us. Mark, go ahead. Hey, guys. Happy Memorial Day. Hey, you too. Hey. So my question is this. I know uh, Cliff has dealt with this before, and, of course, he, he has solved it by going back to using a PC solution. Uh, and I actually have found myself doing the same recently. But my issue is with GarageBand. Uh, when, I, when I use GarageBand to put together a podcast, uh, you know, usually I'm using uh, pre-recorded bits that I've done out in the field and then just stringing them together with a little bit of audio. And uh, I put it together in GarageBand. Sounds great. I get my levels all set up. And then when I export it, the levels are always consistently a lot lower, a lot quieter than what I want. And I think that either in GarageBand or in iTunes, there's some kind of hard limiter that's in there. And um, so... I haven't been able to, to, to solve this, you know, to be able to, to get the, the levels the way I want them to, uh, other than really going back to the PC and editing using Audacity, which does allow me to do that. So w- what are your thoughts on that, Chris? I know GarageBand has some built-in limiters and stuff like that. I'm going to do a quick search here. Uh, audio. While, while, you're, <laughs> yeah, while you're looking that up, I will tell you that at the when you're getting ready to export your file to MP3, one of the things I have noticed, rather regardless whether you ask for it or not, it does do normalization on the audio. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I've really not run into it an could. issue. What's that? It could, but I, you know, yeah, I don't know. It could, but one of the things that I also noticed is that sometimes you really want uh, yes, but I can't find a way to turn that off. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, in my podcast, Answer Man, I am known as the man who has called uh, GarageBand the Fisher-Price edition of podcasting software. <laughs> uh, it is wonderful for musicians. I can definitely see why musicians love GarageBand. And I see that it, it, is, it, it was built for them. It was not built for podcasters, especially podcasters who are used to using any kind of software that gives you real good, consistent waveform editing software uh, that that pretty much is standard everywhere you go. And I will say uh, my su- suggestion for those who are out there who have a Mac and who really are honestly giving it a hundred percent chance of actually falling in love with the Mac and and trying to move away from your dependence on the PC, then I really would suggest, and I haven't looked at it myself yet, but anybody who's a podcaster on the Mac side, I would have them go to Sound Studio 3. And that's from, well, let's see here. Let me see if I can find out who Is that from Ambrosia? 
I think it is, but let me just check. Uh, we'll do Sound Studio 3. It's, I think it's from Felt Tip Software. All righty. Well, it's file not found here. And if you go to uh, oh freeverse.com is down. Yeah, that's what I, I usually I have it. Hot yeah, if over you, there. Freeverse is having some issues with their server right now, but uh, Freeverse is the company that produces that. So, okay, very cool. So, Sound Studio three. Actually, they just came out with three point five. Is that right? I don't know. I've used three, and it's a fantastic piece of software. Yeah, it, it looks as cl- it looks very close to the software I'm using, which I love, which is three hundred and forty nine dollars Adobe Audition two and Sound Studio three looks very similar, and I think it was only like eighty dollars, ninety dollars, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of those places where okay, I don't have, I don't have a problem spending a hundred bucks or extra money on a piece of software that does something that is a pro prosumer kind of thing. But uh so that yeah, I, I definitely would check out Sound Studio. They have a free trial version, by the way, Chef Mark. And Yeah, it looks like the price is normally about eighty bucks too. Yeah. But I, I will tell you there there is a multitude of reasons I don't like Audacity or um I'm sorry. A multitude of reasons I don't like GarageBand for podcasters, and I want to qualify that, for podcasters, for musicians who want to put together their own CDs, absolutely. Um, but even even Andrea was in here. She, I saw her saying that she's been, uh, um, her uh, GarageBand has been giving her a fit with her podcast recently. Um, it's It seems to be the number one question slash complaint from podcasters I get is that there doesn't seem to be very good software support for podcasting on the Mac side of things. And and so one gentleman, I think it was uh, Patrick, uh, yeah, Jay, Jay Patrick. Anyway, I believe he was the one who told me to check out uh, Sound Studio 3, and that's something I'm definitely wanting to do. They got a video on there that just makes it look wonderful. Yeah, and I think, you know, I could be wrong. What's, what's the name of the program? Audition, you said? Oh, my, on the PC side? Yeah. Audition, uh, Adobe Audition 2.0, which is now 3.0. Okay, yeah, because Audacity is a free audio editor. And you know what? I've used it. It's okay. It doesn't have hard, It doesn't have a good multi-processing unit on Audacity. And I, won't, I can't use it because you can't do a combination of um, amplification and hard limit at the same time. Yeah, the rumor has it... Um that audition might be coming out to the Mac at some point, but that would be awesome. Yeah, you know, now now that Premiere's on the Mac, the, the, I heard the next step would probably be audition. Cool, so, Chef yeah. Mark, you have a follow up there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, part of the frustration here is that is that you know, I I see people in the in the chat room and said, oh, well, you know, there's a there's a um, there's an equalizer, and I've used the equalizer, and then what? No matter how, I mean, I can get it to sound perfect in GarageBand, but once I export it. It the sound normalizes is always it. consistently. Well, it's not that it normalizes it. It it so it lower than normalizes it. It, it literally just. I, I, it feels like it just takes the whole file that I have normalized and reduces it thirty percent. You know, um, huh. and that's the frustration. I even you know I brought this up to a Mac Genius on a on a one to one, and he suggested, oh well, you know maybe it's it's the fact that you're exporting it as an MP3 and it degrades it. <laughs> um, try you know oh. try. Uh, Try exporting it as an AIFF and then converting it in iTunes. Of course, it's, it's the same issue. You know, it's, it's the same exact issue. When it exports, it always reduces the, the level, the sound level. 
um, no matter what I do. So, you know, I, I appreciate the suggestions for the other stuff, but, you know, I just don't feel like I should have to pay 100 bucks to get it working decently when I've got Audacity, which always works perfectly um, on the PC. So, you know, I'll well, just edit on the PC. But the problem is, you know, I, I really, like Cliff, have really wanted to use my Mac exclusively for stuff. And, and it seems as great as it is, I should be able to do a simple thing like exporting a podcast and yeah, have no, it be loud enough that it can be heard. Now, Mark, are you talking about Audacity or Audition? He's talking about Audacity. I've been, I, I used Audacity for two and a half years before I got a Mac, and I loved it, and it, it's always been fine for me. The way that I edit, you know, I, I'm using uh, uh, sound clips that I've recorded in the field and stringing them together, and there's, you know, very limited sections where I'm uh, uh, doing transitions with my own recordings on that. So that work, works really well for me. I don't feel like I need to spend $150 on, you know, on a separate program. Now, you do know Audacity is available for Macintosh, right? I do, and I've had some issues with it. It doesn't. Okay. I get the I get the beach ball with it uh, on the Mac a lot. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh. There's a the, there's a really cool. Um, I, I I like Ubuntu. I'm kind of a I, I like Linux and things like that. If you're if you've got a, a spare you know machine or you want to run it like in, in dual mode or something like that, there's a per, there's a, a build of Ubuntu out called Ubuntu Studio, and apparently it's just awesome. Hmm. If you want to do like audio production or video production, it's it's supposed to be just amazing. Yeah, I've I, of course, like I said, podcastanswerman dot com. You can go there, check it out. It it I I tell everybody, uh, you know, I I love the Macintosh computer. I will not podcast on the Macintosh. I will not, will not, will not. As long as I have a copy of Windows XP available to me and a machine that will run it, <laughs> I will be running. All of my podcast production work on a Windows-based system. That that's just the way it's going to be for me. So you're allowed. Um, yeah, and 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 people people joke and and they say, "Oh, Cliff, you 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 gotta get rid of the PC." And I'm like, "Well, you gotta understand. I need I need something that's gonna run Adobe Audition 2.0. I mean, <laughs> it, it it is that important to me to have that one piece of software." And it's it's the one that just so far has not been duplicated. You know, it's not easily duplicated. It it is the perfect software solution for me. And every single person out there has always tried to find some other solution and and has gotten consulting from me. And every single time, it's like I cannot match and do what you're doing. And I'm like, and I've tried to tell you that I've been trying to do that for a year now, and I've not been able to do it. <laughs> but continue to try and if you find something let me know because I'm I am more than willing to say okay let's switch all of it over and right. and and so I like I said the closest thing I've seen so far and I've not tried it out myself yet and I, and I stress the the emphasis on the word yet Sound Studio 3 that is something that is looking pretty good I have to see it to believe it I I definitely need the ability to do um both amplification and hard limiting at the same time so that well, – I won't go into that. That's a whole podcast answer man thing. But anyway, <laughs> there are some things – you know, this is good for the help I got a Mac because there are some things, you know, you get used to doing it a certain way. Like Chef Mark, he said he's always used Audacity. That's always worked for him. And and yet here it is. He's even said that, you know, it's available on – we know it's all available on the Mac. But he's getting beach balls, and that's that's a little frustrating. But it is open source software, and uh, the only thing I can think of, uh, Chef Mark, is to to go into the SourceForge uh, forums or wherever and 
and let them know you're getting beach balls and what causes that beach ball and, and maybe help uh, move that project along on the Mac side. Alrighty. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what else do we have? Oh, well, let me uh, go back to my thing here. <laughs> We've got a couple uh, questions. Actually, we got a real quick rumor uh, from what I heard. Uh, this is from Jason O'Grady at ZDNet that uh, Apple will announce a 12- or 13-inch tablet the, in the fall this year. Most likely in September or October time frame, it'll run uh, full Mac OS X and have a slot-loading SuperDrive, iPhone-type GPS chip, and an Intel Core Duo processor, presumably Intel's new Atom processor, which is a low-power processor. So that's kind of a wish list rumor kind of magic thing. That'd be pretty cool. What is an iPhone-type GPS chip thing? I don't know. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I guess I guess we'll find out uh, next month when Steve announces the new iPhone. So when is, I know it's June, but when in June is this thing? June 9th, I believe, is the keynote presentation. All right. I, little Google search here, June 9th. Yep, June 9th. Very cool. Are we going to do a special thing where, like we did last time? We might have to. I think so. For those that don't know, we uh, we did a uh, live chat session while we were all reading blogs and and updating every three seconds and and so anyway, that would be awesome. It would be awesome. Alrighty, so listener questions. Alaska Brad basically uh, called and and shared his wish list, I wish list, and he's like, "Hello, duh." When he talk when we're talking about an an Apple TV remote. Why not make the iPhone the i the remote? That would be cool. That would be cool. I, you know that. Can I tell you that's one of the things I I used to argue with people about an i you know an iPod versus my Pocket PC. I had an HP Pocket PC and I loved it. I mean, I loved my Pocket PC, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world because, of course, I could just you know slap you know fifty sixty mp3 version of podcasts over and put onto a sd card stick it right into my pocket pc and i'm good to go yeah. and and i had the calendar functions i had all, all the pda functionality i had all of that stuff in fact it had wi-fi you could put skype on there make a phone call that way you could do all kinds of really awesome stuff and the neat thing is, is it had infrared so you could get programs that you could control any style television made known to man with a remote control. Yeah. And so here, here's the thing. I've, when I've used my first iPod, I'm like, oh, now I understand. Now I understand why people are all up in arms about this iPod thing. And yeah. it, it completely changed the world for me. And I'm like, dude, get rid of this thing. And so um, I, I, I gave it up. And now I have somewhat the best of both worlds with the iPhone. But it is missing a couple things that I totally miss. And that infrared port, by golly, that would make, you know, put an infrared port on there. It'd be, it'd be cool to have that remote control functionality um, and, and some other things you could do with it. Uh, number two, it would be awesome to have that SD card, which we've talked about we'll never get. Uh, and it would be cool <laughs> to have some of the other stuff. But anyway, I'm with you, Brad. It just seems it just seems natural, especially before bringing out some kind of special infrared keyboard. Isn't that something we talked about last week? We talked about a possible keyboard for the uh, Apple TV. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, let's see here. And then Mike from New York has a voicemail wondering about installing applications and removing them. We've already covered that uh, for him, right? 
Yes. So very cool. And so what else do we have? Anything else? Oh, man. You know what? I just You just made me close my... Oh, there it is. Okay. See, I do like 53 other things while we do this show because I'm kind of like trying to get ahead of us real quick. No problem. <laughs> We've got a couple questions from the forum. Uh, one that wasn't addressed uh, from Texas Girl, I'm assuming. It's TX Girl. It's just, I have a black MacBook I got right after they were first introduced, so almost two years ago now. Anyway, when I use it on battery power, it will randomly die when a battery indicator goes to about 80%. I get no warning that the computer's about to die and my cycle count is pretty low, less than 60. Any ideas on what the problem may be? I'm like, I'm just going to take it to the Genius Bar. Uh, there's a couple things. Um, I believe they did a battery recall on some of the, the early MacBook batteries, so she may yes. want to go to apple.com slash support and look at that. Um, and they will generally you have to you have to mail it in, but it's pretty fast. You fill out the order, and what they do is they actually send you the new battery before you send your old battery. So you just they'll send you the battery, you swap them out, you put your battery back in the box, and ship it to them. Didn't they and have a problem with some of those exploding even and causing fires? They didn't explode; they were swelling. And I saw quite a few of them at the Genius Bar that were puffy. So okay. you, you may want to check. You might get lucky, and. Uh, it, it may fall under that. The one thing I do want to talk about, though, is a lot of people don't think about reconditioning their battery. And this is outlined in more detail at apple.com slash batteries. Uh, but what they say is, uh, and I quote here, for proper maintenance of a lithium-based battery, it's important to keep the electrons in it moving occasionally. Apple does not recommend leaving your portable plugged in all the time. An ideal use would be a commuter who uses his or her MacBook on the train, then plugs it in at the office to charge. This keeps the battery juices flowing. On the other hand, you use a desktop computer at work and save a notebook for infrequent travel. Apple recommends charging and discharging its battery at least once per month. So if you find yourself always having it plugged in like I do, you know, every once in a while, once a month or so, when it's charged up full, go ahead and unplug it and let that thing run all the way down until it shuts off by itself. And do that once a month, and that'll keep the battery in good condition. Awesome. And so, and in the words of Chris Biting, if you're lucky, you've got a puffy battery. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> just go to apple.com slash support, and uh, there's an area, I think, if we go here, support. Whoops. you got to spell support right. Yeah, it's there. Just look for it on the, on the uh, right-hand side. Cool. Chris, well, thank you very much, man. I'm so glad that I have an awesome co-host that is able to answer questions because, uh, you know what? I'm in need of help because I got a Mac. So thank you for (laughs) being here for us all, Chris. Happy Memorial Day to you, my friend. You too. And we'll be back next week for everybody. See ya. Bye.